Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Previously on the Pure Hoops podcast. Like we start, you know, first it was like a joke. Ah, oh, now you can't guard me, whatever. It's like, ah, oh, you old now, you can't play, da, da, da. And we're just talking. We go from playing to like a full lather. And when we look up, we realize that everyone was just kind of watching because we were playing and he was like right back. He was just he just fell right back into his rhythm right back there. Everyone was great to see him for better, or for worse. I lost that game, Eric. I, I, I admit that I'm not happy about that. I lost that game. <laughs> was, yeah, I did lose that game. And I'm still upset about that. I lost to a man as a professional and he was still in his street shoes. Still hunting down footage from BJ and MJ's one-on-one game in 1995. Today's pod features playoff positioning in the West, the future of the Phoenix Suns in the desert, back to the 90s. But first, a message from the newest member of the Pure Hoops family, Monica McNutt. Hey, Pure Hoops fans, I'm Monica McNutt, and I'm pumped to announce my podcast rolling out April 11th, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. We're going to do it every Thursday. Hopefully, we'll have some conversations with your favorite hoopers. We'll get to their journey in the game, what makes it special, why they love the game, all of that good stuff. So please check it out. It's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks rolling out on April 11th every Thursday. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Welcome to episode 11 of the Pure Hoops podcast. Eric Newman in New York, along with three-time NBA champion BJ Armstrong in L.A., BJ, the Boston Celtics face off against the Indiana Pacers tonight at the Garden. Who's taking the game and who's going to finish fourth versus finish fifth in the Eastern Conference playoff standings? Well, I I love to think that, you know, the Celtics are going to take this one. But as you know, Eric, they've been been up and down throughout the course of the season. But I, 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 I firmly will stand by what I've said all year is in the end, I think talent is going to win out. So I'm going to take the Celtics, and I, I really expect them, especially because they have a veteran team, to really begin to tighten it up a little bit and play with a sense of urgency as they you know, head into the, the latter part of the season as they're about to enter into the playoffs. So I'm going to pick the Celtics at home. You know what's crazy? Thinking about how I wanted to tackle this one, I had more confidence in last year's underdog beaten down Celtics team to go to the conference finals without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward than I do with this team. It's actually not even close because I knew last year's team was going to scratch, fight, and claw every possession together to get there. And this, I I mean, I agree with you on the talent, but 
this whole flipping of the switch thing that they're trying to set up here, I I just don't see I just don't see how it could work. I, I've gotten to the point where uh, last week and and hopefully you'll uh, you've been consistent at chuckling at my uh, my my Celtic mood swings. Um, I just stopped paying attention to the game schedule. They 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 blew the Charlotte game. They no showed versus the Spurs. Um, I, I'm just I'm not understanding what is and isn't motivating these guys right now. So well, yeah, I mean, um, it is. I mean, we see it, Eric. I mean, we see it, and and the the big thing is now we have to manage our expectations, and you know, for better or for worse, you know, Kyrie missed a large portion of the season last year. Yeah, Gordon Hayward missed a large portion of the season Whole last season. year. Right, the whole season, right? Um, so right. you don't well, Tatum, Smart, Rosier, Brown, yeah. Horford. You all felt their presence. There was a purpose. Now, and flip a uh, coin. Yeah, some nights. Yeah, and and it's, this is a new team. Uh, last season, everyone had different roles. Um, the expectations of losing two, not one, but two max guys, and then now you add those players back into the fold is going to really change the dynamic of last year's team, which they went to the conference finals uh, a year ago. So it's going to change within, you know, this group. So, you know, I, 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 I want to believe that they're going to figure this out because they have the talent. I mean, this is a very talented, deep team. And I think they're ready for the playoffs. When I say ready, I think they were built for the playoffs. And um, we'll see. But you know what? It, it's – you would like, you would hope that they would play a little bit more consistent uh, than they have been showing thus far. But again, they've shown flashes, and uh, I, I like it. I like their experience. I like their players. More importantly, I think they're all battle tested. So I'm not ready to give up on this Celtic team just yet. Another team that needs some help with some optimism, and it's a real shame. The Portland Trailblazers have propelled themselves to 20 games over 500. And they are dealt a huge blow the other night as a gruesome injury to, to Nurkic, their starting center. Uh, terrible break for them. C- can this team survive and compete without him, or are they a first-round-and-out um victim now in the very competitive Western Conference playoffs? Well, you know, they certainly have very capable players out there. And you would, you, you, you know, as a, as a player, as an ex-player, and the way you build your roster is you always build your roster. You try to become too deep. And I think that's kind of have been yep. the philosophy uh, of many teams, you know, we talk about the Celtics. You talk, you look at the the Denver Nuggets. I think have done an excellent job. They're just too deep, and when I mean too, you know, too, they have two very talented players at every position, uh, which makes them very tough. So I think the you, you need the depth in your team to advance in the playoffs. Certainly, you don't want to build a team around just one player. Even though Nurkic was a very important pl- part of their team. But you have to find a way. You know, you look at the Indiana Pacers right now. They lose Oladipo, and somehow, someway, they're, they're utilizing the philosophy next man up, and you circle around, and that's why you call it a team. So 
Um, yeah. I feel and, awful and for him. Credit, to, to Portland's credit and what you're saying, you know, them adding Enos Cantor is looking quite genius right now. Well, okay. I mean, yeah, injuries are going to happen. Like, in, in, and Neil O'Shea has been around this league for many years and has done an outstanding job, not only there, but, you know, his track record when he was in, in uh, L.A. with the Clippers, what he's done up there. So he understands that you don't like to see injuries, but, you know, you understand that that's going to be a part of the game. So they are prepared for it. I think they will move forward. I think they will, depending on who they play in the first round. Uh, you know, last year they were upset in the first round, right, uh, by the uh, yep. the Pelicans. So by the in, by the Pelicans. Yeah. So it, it comes down to matchups. But we, we, you know, we along with all of the basketball world, we feel awful for him, and hope for a speedy recovery. And it sounds like he's going to make a full recovery, which is great. But injuries are part of the game, and you have to prepare for that. And and you know what? And uh, move forward. Obviously, in the West, a huge difference between finishing uh, third and fourth, not only for first-round opponent, but avoiding uh, the Warriors in the second round if indeed they wrap up home court. But they're still neck and neck with Denver, uh, who I got to see live last week at the Garden, and it was uh, – it was the, the day after we did our, our episode last week where we talked about um, the Joker, Nikola Jokic, and watching him play live the next night, uh, flashing back on the convo we had about him, specifically on how he slows uh, guys down and makes him play it at his speed. Seeing it live was interesting. But before I jump... Um, Back to Portland real quick. Lillard says that, you know, he wants to stay and sign the Supermax. Um, it's been talked about off and on. Not saying it's by anybody who has um, great knowledge of the situation, but people ask, can you build a team around that backcourt first and go a long way? So, you know, what do you like about that Lillard-CJ combo and with a backcourt as the core of your team in today's NBA with very good role players and depth elsewhere, how far can those guys carry the Blazers? You know, this is a league now where the three-point shot, Eric, has, is really, it's a weapon. And it's a shot that has changed the game. It's changed how we view it, view the game. It's changed how we play the game. It's changed how they coach the game. You defend so the three-point shot has really, you know, it, it's really changed the, 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 the dynamics of, you know, way the game was played as compared to like 15, you know, 15 to 20 years ago. The three-point shot yep. is here to play. And you have to have three-point shooting and you have to have excellent guard play. That has – the excellent guard play has been since the beginning. But now you can't just have guards who can just – directed team you have to have guards who can actually score and shoot and be threats from the three-point line so clearly those two you know check check they they are terrific at ball handlers they're terrific at both of them can initiate an offense and they can score in bunches um i i think the the main thing you have to have is you have to have depth and you have to have consistent players who can defend on the wing in the playoffs uh, against other teams who have these wing players. You know, you have to be able – you're not going to stop Kevin Durant, but you have to be able to defend him. Uh, you have to be able to defend 
the scoring wings that you have, you know, the the Donovan Mitchells, the James Hartons, you have to be able to at least have enough able bodies uh, to throw it to, to throw at them uh, in order to, you know, at least be able to slow them down in a seven game series. So um, as I look at their roster, like I look at all the rosters, I look at players who can defend their position. And when you look at the Warriors roster, we they get so much accolades and press for what they do on the offensive end but defensively they can defend multiple positions with multiple players at wing you know scores they can throw you know whether it's Andre Iguodala Clay Thompson the whole they can throw a number of different players at a James Harden at a Donovan Mitchell um, at you know players who can score from the wing you know they can throw multiple defenders in screen roll situations at a Damian Litter and CJ McCullough so to me, that is the X factor in a series. How can you match up yep. without compromising your defense? Yeah, and Portland, as you alluded to last year, was upset in the playoffs, and part of it was because they were shredded by the Pelicans. And well, the Pelicans you're going to be shredded. Playing, uh, well, one of the things, Eric, is you know when you get to the playoffs, you're going to simplify the game, and the game is going to slow down, and it's going to probably come down to isolation defense or, better yet, screen roll. And Mm -hmm. when you have a center position, uh, again, and this is just playoff basketball now coming out, I'm going to attack a center, a big center, and make him switch in the playoffs. So having a center who can defend screen roll is an – it's a huge. And so these are questions that Portland and all the other teams will have to answer when you get to the playoffs. You know, Steven Adams and these guys, I'm going to attack them. I'm going to attack DeMarcus Cousins in screen roll every single time. I'm going to include him to force them to make a decision on how they're going to play screen. Are they going to double? Are they going to switch? Are they going to try to go over, under? The the chess match that's going to go on with Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella, Enos Cantor, Nikola Jokic, DeMarcus Cousins – Steven Adams, LaMarcus Aldridge, like it's going to be fascinating. And and it's really fascinating, fascinating to see, you know, who is going to play who. And as we've been talking about now for a number of weeks, I mean, the standings besides the top two are different every time we dig in to do a show. The other team that we haven't uh, paid much attention to lately on the show, who we both respect um, and as our producer Bruce Bernstein has pointed out, uh, the Utah Jazz have gone from a team that looked like, oh, last year they surprised everybody. Now everyone's caught up with them. You know, they're 45 and 30 heading into Thursday night, and they're right there in that battle to jump up to, you know, three is unlikely with three in the loss column with, um, eight games to play on their schedule, but Utah's right there. And and you talk about depth and versatility and that team's got both at, at both ends. So I'm just, I'm super, whereas in the East and obviously fanship aside, things are much more set between the top four five and the, the bottom there. But this Western conference playoff race is, is as thrilling as I thought it was going to be. Where are you with Utah now in this in this second year where they're no longer surprising people? They, they've carved out a real identity for themselves. 
Well, Utah's a very capable team. And, you know, let's start out, you know, with Donovan. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is a terrific young talent. And he is physically strong enough to play through contact in the playoffs. I thought he proved that last year. I don't think it was a fluke what he was what he did last year as he's you know he's kind of been re-energized at the beginning of the season like most young teams you know they they didn't realize that last year was last year and this year is, is this year and I think it took them a little time to adjust to the fact that now they're no, they're no longer the Utah Jazz that you, sh- you should win now they're a team that everyone is shooting for because of the success they had a year ago and I think it took yep. them a little time to adjust to that now that they are used to that position, I think they're poised to take the next step. I mean, Rudy Gobert is a rim protector. Um, Ricky Rubio is as solid as you get at the point guard position. Uh, I love Derek Favors. I think they're a well-coached team. Um, and it's tough. that's a tough place to play. So I think with the right matchup, I could easily see this team moving forward as long as they stay healthy. Um, because your health, is, you know, you, you need to be healthy. But I like their team. I like the way they play. And I would not be shocked at all if they were to advance, you know, past the second round. This is a very good ball club, and they are a very talented group. Yeah, they, they could – listen, they, 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 along with Houston, along with Portland, along with Denver um, – are going to push whoever they play, whatever round it is. So, you know, in the West, some of these first-round matchups uh, could feel like, you know, second round or even if you, with the right matchup, you know, you could feel like a conference finals in the first round. It's going to be, it, it's going to be really exciting. Another team that we haven't paid much attention to that has done an unbelievable job of just ignoring all the outside noise. They traded their top scorer and best, arguably their best player to Philadelphia during the season and Tobias Harris. They're now 15 games over 500, have clinched the playoff spot. Um, the Clippers are just an incredible story, and I'm sure you saw uh, one of the, the clips from the other night where Doc Rivers walked into the locker room and was basically just shouting out all the outlets and haters that picked them to win 33 games and be nothing. And um, you got a sense of a great camaraderie in that room. What do you think of what the Clippers have done and, and what kind of a job has Doc done now that he's just concentrating on the coaching and not splitting his uh, attention between coaching the team and the front office? Well, I was talking to a, an executive in the NBA, and we were talking about the, about the Clippers. And, and the one thing that he, he expressed to me, he said, you know, we were talking about the Clippers, and he said, it's an art now, BJ, to playing hard in this league. It's a skill. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I was like, you know, I, you know, I, I, being a ex-player, I was like, I, the coaches never had to ask me to play hard. I just, you know, that's what I did, right? That's what I got paid to do. And he was like, no, today it's different. It's a, it's a skill. And I went. Can we just think about that? that? Can we think about that for a second? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You know, when you're young, when you're young, 
you think you're playing hard, and then you'll go look at yourself on the tape. You go, wow, I wasn't playing hard. You, you know, you, you, it, it, and these guys are so young when they come in the league, they do think they're playing hard until you watch yourself on tape and you go, oh, I, I, I thought I was playing hard, but I just – so – but when you look at their team, I mean, they have two guys that come off the bench every night that's somewhere around 20 points between, you know, Lou Williams and, and – and, is it Montreal? Is that how you pronounce his name? Montreal Harrell? Well, uh, is that he's been un- uh, Harold, uh, yeah. Montrez Harrell has been unbelievable for and them. Lou Williams. Unbelievable. So, so that's a yep. that's an amazing that's an amazing tool to have if you're Doc Rivers or any coach where you not have one guy. I mean, Lou Williams is arguably every year the guy's like six men of the year, it seems like. And then you have another guy who comes in and just gives you a double double consistently every single night. You have two guys coming off your bench that's capable of giving you 20, 25 points at any given time. And then you have Gallinari, who's a very capable scorer. And this kid, Shea, has been terrific this year. Shea Alexander yep. has been just – I mean, he's been a terrific player. Now, you know, the, the, the players that Patrick Beverly and these guys, they play so hard. And they may not have the stats, but he plays and defends multiple positions at his size, which it's just – I mean – you. you you can't you, – you, what is his contribution to the team? You know, his leadership, his toughness. Every loose ball, you know he's going to be on the floor. Every scrum, he's yeah. going to be right there. He brings and toughness to the team. And you look at their team – Yeah, no, so you look at their team, and Doc Rivers has done an incredible job. But I think Doc Rivers appreciates he has a great group of guys who play hard every night. They're a very tough group. And they just grind it out every single night. And that's a skill now. That's a skill because yep. some teams, because of their youth or what, what have you, don't want to do what they're willing to do every night. And those guys, every single night, for all the Clipper fans, it's two things you're going to get every night with that team. You're going to get the effort and the energy to win that game. Now, they, they may not win every game, but you know they're going to play hard. And Doc Rivers and his staff, they're, they're going to be prepared. They're going to be organized. And now, if they're making shots, they're tough. They're tough out for any team because they play so hard. And you got to give them credit. I mean, I, you know, I watch them play a lot out here in LA, and they are fun to watch because, you know, this guy Patrick Beverly, he'll fight anybody. And <laughs> he's, I mean, he's just fun. And you know, he's yeah, doing I mean, it. He's an absolute. He's an absolute nuisance and pain in the ass if you're the other team. But he refuses to take possessions off. He pressures the basketball. Yes. He makes life really uncomfortable. And the other thing that I just want to hit on real quick is the job Doc has done with the new personnel coming in during the season. He found a way to get Landry Shamit comfortable, the shooter from the Sixers, from the Tobias trade. Garrett Temple comes over from Memphis along with Jermichael Green. Zubak comes over in the trade with the Lakers. Like, he's been able to just fit and massage these puzzle pieces. And it's it's really incredible. And a lot of people have been uh, very critical of him over the years because he didn't get what people felt were the most out of much more talented Clipper teams. But this is an incredible job that well, he's done there. Yeah, I mean, look, when you when you have players like... Blake Griffin and those players, 
Yeah, they, you know, by the numbers, because, you know, we're, we're enamored now with stats and the metrics and PERs and all those things. But when you break down the essence of the game, especially the professional game, but any basketball game, whether it's college, high school, you know, international, the game comes down to three things. You have to defend, you have to secure the rebound after that great defensive possession, and then you have to share the ball with your teammates. You got to pass it. So you have to defend, you have to rebound, and you have to pass the ball. Unlike teams in the past. And all of those things, and all of those things take effort, passion, and commitment. Yes. And no disrespect. You know, you have some amazing offensive players in this league who put up amazing stats, right? They can score with the best of them. But in the end, you have to get defensive stops. And the one thing that you can do consistently, especially in the NBA, because you have so many games, is you can defend. And Yes, you have players who can go out and get you 25, but every score and every shooter or every one who's played the game, say, you know, some nights they go down, some nights they don't. But defensively, you can do that every night. And this team this year, I think, reflects more of who Doc Rivers was. And I played, I had the good fortune of playing against Doc as a player. Doc Rivers was a mm-hmm. grinder. You know, yep. he was a defensive guy who. You know, he was just a grinder. I mean, I think this team reflects his personality more than coaching, you know, those elaborate players who you got to deal with and you got to get them touches and make sure that they get enough, you know, offensive, you know, and they're in the right positions. This team right here, they're just getting stops. And Doc loves it. And I think this this reflects him more than the other teams. This team, that Orlando team he had in the late 90s that – you know, it's when Grant Hill was going through all those injuries and, you know, he got them to 500. And then I think one of his best jobs that is uh, overlooked is, uh, you know, he had the 2012 Celtics within one game of the NBA Finals. I mean, you give and him those guys. That, give him, give him yeah. those guys. And he... That, that, that team, though, that team, though, was out of gas. Yeah. Like, that, that team was... I mean, those guys were drained and their bench was awful they had no bench and they had greg steamsma marquise daniels playing meaningful minutes off the bench and they were one game away from the 2012 finals so um big big shout out to doc pivoting to to the next item on our game plan today is uh, a guy that is putting up monster numbers his team will not be in the playoffs this season but this team is starting to be positioned now to join that high quality depth of teams in the West. And that's Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns. And he goes back to back 50 point games this week. We knew he was talented. Did you think he was going to hit this level this quickly in his career? Because he's doing some incredible things right now for a player of his age. You know, Eric, as, as, as a, I was very fortunate to see did you, some amazing did you just offensive. Did you just drop your mic thinking about getting back-to-back 50-point games? No, I, I – you know, I saw some amazing offensive players. So watching someone score 50 points is not the 50 points that I am amazed because 50 points a day is not the same as 50 points 15, 20 years ago. And that's not to take away anything from the kids today. It's just that – the game is played at a different pace. 
Yep. So we they're more possessions. We had this we had this convo just to refresh the audience. We had this convo a couple of weeks ago when we were trying to frame Le- the season LeBron James was having and what his statistics this season mean in this NBA in regards to the style of play. So I find this a very interesting thing to apply to a guy like Booker. Sorry for cutting you off, but I just wanted to share the context there. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, players today with the three-point shot, it's a different it's it's different because the there there's more volume. There's they're playing with 15, 20 more extra possessions. You know, mm-hmm. I've never seen so many one pass and shot or a guy will just dribble down and shoot a three. I mean, you're seeing some games with 50, 60 three-pointers in one game. You know, we were lucky to shoot that many in a month, okay? Um, It's just a different game. So watching players score 50 points in a game to me doesn't have the same, you know, if you saw a player score 50 points 15 years ago, it caught my attention because I know how difficult that was. Now, with the three-point shot and the way these guys play, I mean, you know, it doesn't doesn't have the same cachet for me uh, watching the game today. And that's not to take away anything that he's done. I mean, 50 points is 50 points. I mean, the kids scored like 59, I think, one night against Utah as I was watching. And so that's 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 still a ton of points. Now, the thing I'm interested with any player, any player is what's your effect on the bottom line, which is winning and losing the game. And yep. clearly he is an amazing offensive talent, um, but I've seen offensive talents for years. I mean, you know, you've seen guys, for instance, like Ricky Pierce. You've seen guys like Dale Ellis. You've seen guys like Reggie Miller. You've seen players who can just score. I mean, you know, these players have existed – and will continue to exist in this league. I mean, this kid is a very talented offensive player. But now I, I think it's, it's at a point here for him is to figure out how does that translate because he's such a, he's such a wonderful offensive player. I mean, he really yeah. can score the ball. He, can, he yeah. can score in a number of ways. So I'm more interested for him to see how he's going to integrate that talent, that 50, having the ability to do that and translate it to winning. More than anything, because if I recall, both of those games, he's lost both of those games. And they are, you know, they've been a team now that's been in the lottery here for the last, you know, some odd years. So at some point for him and the organization, I'm excited to see how he's going to translate that, because clearly none of us have any doubts of what he can do on the offensive end. But how we're going to translate that now to start getting wins, because that's the to me, that's the key ingredient to being a great score and a great player and he's definitely on the I think we're all projecting him to take that next step to how he can become a great player 26 plus points per game they have the second worst record in the NBA obviously it's a very top heavy NBA draft and we'll get to that in a moment I find the roster construction here really intriguing with Booker Aiton of course Josh Jackson Kelly Oubre, who I think is a very talented player. They're going to have to make a decision, I believe, on him and his deal. So Phoenix has set themselves up very, very nicely here, whether it's Zion, Barrett, someone we're not thinking of yet to plug into that stretch four role. 
They do need a point guard to move Booker off the ball, but yep. what do you what do you think of what do you think of that core to start with? You know, those names, all of those guys, you know, we talked I, I we talked earlier in the show about having wing players and players who can match up with other other wings. Okay, you look at Booker, you look at Jackson, you look at Ubre. They have the kid Bridges, who I, I think is a, another excellent wing, you know, defender. You know that 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 athlete that you're looking for on the wing. I like yep. what they're doing. Yeah, and he can as shoot. As far it. as uh, yep. you know, as far as the, what they've done in the draft, the Aiden kid, I think in a couple of years could easily be a top ten, top twenty player in this league. Um, you know, he's 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 big, he's athletic, uh, he has great touch um, around the rim. He's strong. So I I, I look at him. Uh, as a player who could mature easily into a dominant force in this league. Now, when I look at their team, the one key ingredient that's that's missing, is, which is obvious, is they need a initiator ball handler who can organize the game for them. They have all these wing players, they have these athletes, but you need someone who can deliver. And you know, as you alluded to earlier, is to get Booker off the ball uh, and make the game easier for everyone. You know, you, you need someone who can deliver the ball to Aiton. You need someone who could deliver the ball to Booker and all the other scorers because they have the athleticism clearly to do it. And the one big thing I think that every executive has come to understand in this league is, you know, when you draft these wonderfully gifted young players, now you need time. So they're going to need a three- or four-year window to get adjusted. We have to remember most of these players are one-and-done players. So it's going to take them a little time to mature physically into this NBA game. You don't just come in this league and dominate right off the bat. You know, it takes time. So they're taking their bumps now. And if they can somehow continue to make progress and, and, and add a couple of ball handlers to this mix to make the game easier for all of their young players, I think this group has a very – good chance of a finance of success later down the line. I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but I really like their young talent. I, I love Booker as an offensive player. I love Aiden. Josh Jackson, of course, he, you know, he can play on both sides of the ball. And you have the kid Bridges and Ubre, who are excellent athletic lane runners. So uh, I like it. And I think they have a, a good core and a good thing going out there in Phoenix. It's not translating right now for them, but I, I like what they're doing. I love when you are setting me up for the next thing, but you don't even know it. That's how, that's how good our bi-coastal chemistry has become. So the player I did not name yet, who's very high on the draft board, is Murray State's fantastic guard, Ja Morant, who had a spectacular first game in the NCAA tournament and then unfortunately ran into just a better basketball team in Florida State in the next round. Um, did you watch him in the tournament? Have you watched him play this season? And, and what are your thoughts on him as a NBA prospect right now? Well, I like him and what I saw on television, right? Um, I haven't had a chance to see him live, but I like what I saw on television. And the one thing I like about young players when I'm evaluating players, and that goes back to my scouting days, is 
the kid didn't have to score the basketball to have a to have an impact on the game. Now, to me, that's very, very important because very rarely will a kid be a star player in college and then a star player in the NBA. Uh, you know, that's that's very rare. You have to learn how to play without the ball. And the kid is a terrific scorer. He's a incredible athlete, but he somehow knows how to play without the ball to have an impact. Do you he know doesn't how have many, to Yeah. Do I you mean, know how just, many shots he took in that first game where he had the triple double? I don't, but he didn't he didn't he didn't have to score to, to impact the game. Nine that's what, nine shots. That's nine he, shots. When I Incredible. see that, yeah, when I see that Incredible. I go, okay, now this kid has a chance to make a, he has a chance to make a transition a lot easier than a player who has to, is accustomed to getting 15 to 20 shots because normally when Absolutely. you come up to the NBA that's not going to happen you're a rookie right and you have to learn how to play without the ball so i was very impressed with that now the the this just goes back to my my history being a a, a former point guard myself that's the most difficult position. I have to look at the other four positions different than I look at the point guard position because he's going to be responsible for getting the other four guys involved, and they're all going to be mad at him when they don't get their numbers next year. So that's going to take some time. I think the kid is poised and has the talent to do it. But as we know, it takes time, especially for these lead guards, especially in today's game because they, they have so much more responsibility because now we're playing the game faster. We're advancing the ball. Everyone's getting more shots. Everyone's getting more stats. So I think as he gets adjusted to this NBA game, he will figure it out. But certainly he passed the eye test for sure. He plays the part. He's athletic enough. And he can play without the ball, which I think would help him transition faster than a lot of other players. And uh, he looks like he has a chance to be a really good player up here. So is he the guy to plug into that Phoenix core? To well, me, it's, to me, it's to me, it's obvious. To me, yeah, it's obvious. you know, yes. look again. I, I'll go back to what I've learned in this league. What are the expectations? Let me manage my own expectations. I'm going to. Is, is it fair for me to expect this kid to come in and plug plug him in next year and be ready to play? No. Now, if we if you said I, I got three or four years to figure it out and you plug him in, okay, then that's a different conversation. You know, with that Phoenix team, I would love to I would love for them to add a veteran to the group. Um, just because yeah. you want to balance out the equation of the youth with experience. There's no replacement for experience. I sure. I don't like it. You, you know, when I look at the look at the kid Shea Alexander. Shea Alexander has a great benefit playing alongside Patrick Beverly because he's playing alongside a veteran point guard who's been through all the battles, who can take some responsibility from him every single night of initiating an offense. Now, to the outside eye, that means nothing. To all of us who've played that position, do you know? I, I, don't, I think he probably won't appreciate this Shea until later in his career. All right, and I'll go back to when I first was pointed out to me was when Norm Nixon and Magic Johnson were playing together, Magic Johnson's rookie year. I think Magic would tell you probably in private, I don't know if he would say it publicly, of how important that was for him when he transitioned. And he was perhaps the greatest point guard to ever play because you get a chance to learn 
but learn in a positive way of what to do and what not to do. Just throwing a guard out there before he's ready, especially at the point guard position, sometimes is not the best thing. But having a guard where you can actually help you learn the position before you're ready to carry that position, I think is great. Nate McMillan did that for Gary Payton. It, it, it just yep. it, it's it's like one of those things that we all know as guards, but every no one really talks about it. It's very important, especially for young guards, to play alongside a veteran because the veteran has been there and can point that out to you, which can speed up the process other than just throwing them out there and saying, go learn on the job. And we thought that was going to be Rajon Rondo to Lonzo Ball this season, but we've seen how that has worked out. But the fact that you just worked in Nate McMillan and Norm Nixon in the same point is very, very <laughs> impressive, my friend. Very impressive. Uh, for those that don't know, Norm Nixon won two championships with the Lakers in the early 80s, and then he was actually the player that was traded for the draft pick that became the one and only Byron Scott. Quickly before we go into our 90s time machine, uh, putting you on the spot as we talked a lot about these Western Conference teams today, if you could pick one first-round playoff matchup to go seven games in the West and just be an absolute brawl of a series, what's the matchup you'd want to see? First round, Western Conference, yeah. First round, Western Conference. Ooh, that is putting me on the spot. Um, I would love to see the Nuggets and the Thunder. Ooh. And the reason Good being one. is because the, the Thunder are at a position, or I think the expectations is they, they are supposed to advance. I think right now people would say they are they have the talent, Maybe they're not as good as we thought they should be, you know, especially with, you know, the expectations of having a Russell Westbrook and a Paul George has raised the expectations of everyone. Um, you know, they are currently now what in the, I think the seventh seed. Uh, they, as they're in speak. seven. So, yeah, if, so if the playoffs started in this moment, that is the matchup. And then, and then the Nuggets, they had a great regular season, right? A great regular season. But would any of us be surprised if the if the Thunder beat them? I would say no. I I, I just think it's it's just a, I think it's a great matchup because now the Nuggets will be they will ha clearly have home court and they will be expected to win. But then the Thunder, I'm sure they feel they can beat anybody in the Western Conference. So I think that will be, you know, I think it would be a very interesting matchup because I don't think anyone would be surprised if the Thunder would win because the Thunder, I think they're a very capable team uh, of going through the playoffs, even though they are currently now in the seventh seed. I just think they have the firepower, if you will, to win, win out or win four games against anyone in the Western Conference. I just think that I, I, I like their team. Yeah. I like the way they're built. And I think that to me would be an interesting series because Denver has no experience. And, you know, the Thunder have experience and they have the size. They certainly have the talent. And I think in a seven-game series, I think that would be – I think it would be great, great basketball. I agree it would be great basketball. The Thunder have really struggled um, recently. 
due to both being top-heavy talent-wise and Paul George has really cooled off as far as the perimeter shooting goes. Still having a terrific season. But the Denver depth, and I, I love the thought of Jokic versus Adams for seven games, but I think that Denver depth uh, will really take its toll on the Thunder. And you're right, they don't have that playoff experience yet, but there's, there's something really unique and and something that I really like about this team after watching them live, and yeah, I know it was against the Knicks last week, but still seeing their makeup, seeing their chemistry. Isaiah Thomas is up off the bench every possession. The guy's not even in the rotation right now. Just there's a togetherness there. And then, you know, you, you know how I feel about the job Mike Malone is doing. So um, I think it could be a terrific series. Yeah, but I, mean, I think yeah, Denver I, I, I think Denver would be a, a clear favorite despite the potential of the Thunder. Yeah, I, I I I would say on paper that that would that would certainly be the case, um, but playoff basketball, Eric is is a is a is a, is a different animal, and when I look at the Denver when I look at the Denver team, I look at the Denver team, um, and I look at their matchup, I go okay. Who are we looking at that team that's going to carry them? in this series, in a series, right? Like, who's the guy that's going to play with less than five seconds on the shot clock? Because you need that guy, right? In every playoff game, and this is what – this is why I'm sticking with the Celtics because it's one thing I know about Kyrie Irving. He can play with the shot clock. Not many players can play with the shot clock. Five seconds or less – Kyrie Irving can get me not only a shot, he can get me a great shot. I don't know yep. who can do that for the Nuggets. I don't know who can do that. I'm not saying I, I, I think I think Jamal Murray's the guy off the bounce. Obviously things are gonna run I, through I, Jokic. I, I, but, I like Jamal but, Murray, but you can't tell me that Jamal, Jamal Murray is the same as Steph Curry or Russell Westbrook no, or of course not. Or Kyrie of course Irving. not. But but he's I, I gonna like be him. he's I gonna like be him. the guy in that position though. And we'll yeah, see I, if he delivers. He's going to be in that position, but I don't know if he can. Again, if he can, can he do it a game or two? I'm not. Yeah, that's capable. I'm saying, yeah. can he carry and go do it in Game Seven? I don't know. Sure. I don't. There's a yeah. lot of questions here, and those questions can only be answered as we play. I like their team. Yep. I like their trial roster. by fire. I, yeah. Trial but, by fire. Absolutely. Some of these guys, you know, this is what separates the good players from the great players. Some of them, when it gets to that moment, when everybody knows what the players are being ran, when we get to the matchups, can Jamal Murray overpower Russell Westbrook? My answer is no. <laughs> okay? Yep. <laughs> Clearly, up. no. Like, I, and, 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 and Russell Westbrook is, you know, one of the top five players in this league when it comes down because he's going to – you know this about Russell Westbrook. He's going to give the effort and the energy necessary to win that game. And he athletically, he can overwhelm you if you're not careful. He can overwhelm a team if you're not careful. Paul George <laughs> Paul George is capable of going for 30-plus in every game for seven games. He's done it. Yeah, I don't know two, who two, can do that. Two very, two very different yeah. basketball teams yeah. as far as construction know, yeah. and some of parts and star power absolutely and, this will definitely be a, 
This will be trial by fire with the Nuggets. Yeah, and, the, and, these, and, and, and just one last thing. And uh, Coach Malone is a terrific coach. He's having a terrific year, and he should be considered coach of the year. Every coach, though, when we get to the playoffs, Eric, is going to shorten that bench. Yep. Every coach, especially on the road, okay? And if they lose a game in game one or game two, which they should be nervous. This is their first playoffs together. They should be nervous. I could easily see the Thunder going in there and just bombarding them in game one. They haven't had the – now you go to game three, the series tie 1-1 – that that it's gonna be that's a different game. That's a different game. That's a different coached game. Okay, I'm not saying they can't win it. I'm not saying they can't do it, but I, I could easily see them losing one of the first two games because you know they're they're nervous. The, the fans are fired yeah. up. And then this they gotta go. First. And then they gotta go get one on the road in in a tough road environment yes. for sure. For sure. All right, you ready to uh, you ready to get in the spaceship? Yes, I am. Back to the 90s we go. Last episode, you had a great story about Michael Jordan playing one-on-one with him before he decided to come back in March of 95 and what that was like. And today, I want to I flip that. And meaning by flip that is when when Jordan retired the first time, it was in the fall of 93. Coming out of the summer, after the first three-peat, you guys had defeated the Phoenix Suns in six games to win the championship. And then in October, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, it was September or October, fall of 93, Michael Jordan says, I'm done with basketball. So what I would love for you to share is, you know, what was that like for for you? And then how did your role change with the team along with how you worked with Phil, Scotty, and Horace and just how you guys banded together to then go ahead and have a really good season? Well, the thing I remember most uh, about that season was – um, training camp was about to start. And, and back in those days, you know, you went training camp for the entire month. Um, and we were about to start training camp. And one of our brothers, you know, Michael said he couldn't play. And it was no why or how can we help. It was just giving him the space that, that he needed, that his family needed at the time to sort through whatever was going on in his life. And there was a lot of things that were going on at that time. And I think the the biggest thing for me was to be a good friend and to, you know, not only listen, but to hear what he was saying, because I couldn't imagine what that was like for him then. And having both of my parents still alive today to know what he was going through with him and his family and knowing how close he was with his with his parents. Um, So I wanted to be a good friend first and foremost. Um, The one thing I do remember about that, about that team was it it gave me the first glimpse of what uh, it meant to actually build a team. And, you know, there was so much talk, especially in the media about, you know, 
you know, Michael Jordan and, you know, you know, you guys were, you know, Michael and the Pips and Michael and the Jacksons because he was such a polarizing figure. Um, it was the first time that I had an appreciation for how the team was built. You know, we were clearly a team. I think we actually won more regular season games that year than we did the previous year, even though we won the championship. Uh, I think it was the third championship um, in, that, in that first three-peat. Yep. So I had an appreciation for how the team was built because I now I, I, I remember thinking – now I, I understand the difference between a risk and a gamble. You know, you, you don't gamble with your franchise by just building it around one player. You take a risk knowing that that one player can push you over the top, but you build and you take a risk with building a team. And I always had an appreciation for Scottie Pippen, but Scottie Pippen perhaps had his greatest individual season that year. Uh, Horace Grant became an all-star that year. I became an all-star that year. And without question... And Phil and I, when, when we see each other, I, I always make make sure to tell him that that was his greatest coaching season, I thought, that he's done. And he's won 11 championships. But that year, he really – because everything was on the cuff. There was no preparation. You don't take Michael Jordan out of your lineup, right? <laughs> and then suddenly yeah. still find a way to win 50-something games in this league. And then go on to advance. I mean, I think we won the first round. I think we took the Knicks to seven games that year. I can't remember the second you, round. Or you, you went, you went to seven, and of course the controversial yeah, foul I mean, call to put Hubert Davis on the free throw line. I so mean, you I mean, he could have been in the conference finals against the Pacers. So I, I and, and that, so I had a, a appreciation, and that was my first fascination with how to build a team because how do you continue? to lose a player like Jordan and still win 55 or something, whatever we won that year, I can't remember, 57 or something games we won, whatever we did 55 and 55 and 27. So how do you take Jordan off your team? So, you, so let's just take the best player off of every team and then still say that team is going to win 55 games. And a, a, a player like Michael Jordan, this guy was averaging 32, 33 points a night. So to me – that was the first time I became fascinated with how to construct a team. How to construct a team because now, you know, you have players that were contributing and doing things. And I became fascinated with style and systems of play. And I, and I really learned how to win in this league because it's not about offense. We always talk about offense. But the triangle offense, if you will, gets a lot of – headlines of what is the triangle offense and I, and I always laugh when I when I people ask what is the triangle offense and I always laugh when Phil Jackson and he must have and we, you know from time to time I, you know I've never I've never actually pinpointed him on this but I know he understands this because he you know he's you know he's been teaching the triangle and uh, for for years the triangle offense is gets a lot of publicity for the offense but really, it just gives you the defensive balance that you need to be consistent on both ends of the court if it's yep. executed properly. So, you know, of course the offense is hard to learn because everyone's just – the offense is what most people are focused on. But if you get stops on the other end, you never run the triangle offense. That's what people don't realize about the triangle offense. We played defense so hard because we didn't want to run the triangle offense. 
because we were always playing advantage basketball, two on one, three against two, four against three. We were always playing advantage basketball because we always had the defensive transition to go from the transition from offense to defense. We were always in the right position, which gave us yep, a huge guys, advantage to be consistent. Were, you guys were third in opponents' points per game that season. I, I, like I, said, I, I don't know the numbers, but what I do yeah. know is that the triangle offense is good if you want to be consistent at something. And you have to be consistently good at take, get, taking away easy baskets or uncontested shots on the other end if you're going to be good in this league. Right. The best teams in this league are going to have they're going to contest the other shots and they're going to take away easy transition buckets on the other end. So to me, that's the beauty of the triangle offense or any offense. System that allows you to have a good a good transition defense. And that's when I began to really learn the game because Jordan was so good. You know, I have always said this. Um, because I firmly believe that then, and, and even more so now, is Michael is perhaps the greatest mistake eraser of all time. He just erased all the mistakes that right. you can make because he was so good. He was that good yeah. of a player. You're, you know, I don't know if he's margin, the greatest player. Your margin for things. error. Yeah, my margin, your margin for, for error. error without him is minute. Yeah, yeah, my margin. I could be down. <laughs> Look, if we were within ten points in the last four minutes of a game, we were going to win that game because he was going to score. Every single time in the last four minutes of a game, Michael Jordan was going to do one of three things. He was either going to score two, get fouled and go to the free throw line and make two or get an and one. So if you didn't play perfect basketball in the last four minutes against Jordan, we were going to be plus 10 in the last four minutes of a game with him on the floor because that was his margin of error. He was that good of a player. I, we never concerned ourselves with matter whether we were going to score in the last four minutes of a game. Now, who else could go on the floor and do that? We didn't go into a huddle going, well, we got to get to score. No. When we score, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> it, it was a, that was a mm -hmm. no-brainer for us. That's a no-brainer for him when he was playing at his height where he was that good in the last four minutes of a game. He was going to score, which put so much pressure on the other team because they knew they had to be perfect to beat him. So losing him and having to play and figure that out just gave me a whole understanding and view of the game and how you build a team and how do you play and how do you do things. And, you know, the Knicks were a great defensive team. But, you know, I, have, I had a better understanding on how to defend without Jordan than with Jordan because this guy was going to figure out how to steal the ball or do something that was incredible which you acknowledged it was incredible, but he, he was just that good that made us, he kind of took us along for the ride because he, we were already a good team, but with him, we were an exceptional team because he was that much better than everybody else, not only in the league, but you know on the team. He was just able to do things that the rest of us couldn't do. The ultimate difference maker. Well, 55 wins and pushed the Knicks to, to seven and We'll, uh, we'll revisit uh, more from 94 because there's a lot of, lot of, lot of storylines there. We'll revisit more from 94 uh, on another trip back to the 90s. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Pure Hoops podcast, episode 11 in the books. Great job, my partner BJ Armstrong out west. Special thanks to Bruce Bernstein. 
Jeff Torini and the entire Pure Hoops media crew. Don't forget to check out the Mike Wise Show, releasing every Monday, Catch and Shoot, featuring Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov each Wednesday, along with our March Madness quick hitter content at purehoopsmedia.com. Enjoy the tournament. Enjoy the NBA playoff race. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.